Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. It seems that food has become a very evangelistic religious experience. And I share that because have you noticed that people are telling us what to do when it comes to our food and or some of the eating programs have become almost evangelical. You should be a vegan vegetarian. You should be a carnivore. You should be an intermittent faster. You should eat three times a day. You shouldn't eat that. And there's rules and regulations and it seems there's even 10 commandments about what you should and shouldn't eat. So when did food become more than just something that we uh, put into our body to nourish our body and to create a high performance machine, the fuel to drive our body? When did it become something that we needed to argue about? And I've got here some things that are really argued. So there's chocolate, argued, bad food, good food. Some people say you should eat it every day. Some people say you should never have it. Artificial sweetener, argued, lots of research to show. And I always ask, what research and what does it actually show? But very uh, argumentative conversation about artificial sweetener. Alcohol, shouldn't drink alcohol, it's bad for you. You should drink alcohol, it helps you live longer. There are some people who wouldn't drink it because it's against their religious experience. Religious experience. And there's other people who drink alcohol every day. And it is part of their happy, healthy lifestyle. I've got coffee, poor old coffee, it gets nailed. Some people say the coffee makes you fat and other people say the coffee is an energizing uh, stimulant and it helps you to lose weight. And I've got biscuits and chocolate. And the other interesting thing about what I've got in front of me is every time I do a video on food, and I don't like to do videos on food because it's such a controversial topic, but every time I do them, and it's because somebody's asked me about it, Rowie, what do you think about this? Uh, I just pull stuff out of my own cupboard. I don't go and buy stuff specifically to talk about. I just go, okay, okay there's some, this is about controversial information about food. What is really controversial? And of course, my cupboard is always full of controversial stuff. And there's a reason for that, and I want to share this with you very personally. Uh, I live my life as a uh, happy, healthy, strong human being who has no hang-ups with food. And I share that because I have worked with all of my career people who hate food or hate themselves because they love food or they've just got a horrible relationship with food. And I think it's really sad and I promised myself that I would never live my life like that. My father was an excellent, uh, I could call him a chef, but he was more like a creator of beautiful food experiences. My father was Hungarian. He just could create yummy food. At our house, there was always great food, which was a bit of a challenge up until the age of 10 for me because I got chubby. I was very chubby because the food at our house was fantastic. Uh, when somebody shared with me that I was chubby, I decided that I didn't want to be chubby for the rest of my life. So I wanted to have a great relationship with food, which was eat yummy food, eat when I'm hungry because I hate being hungry, stop eating when I'm full because I hate feeling full, and enjoy all the foods that I eat. Now that's my food philosophy. But I would never, ever think that it's okay to knock on somebody's door and preach at them about my philosophy on food. And I use that as an example because there are some religions that knock on your door and tell you about what you should believe. And I, I love them. I think it's the, the passion and the courage it must take to knock on somebody's door and talk about what you believe in. I think that's awesome. But I also understand that there are some people that find that very offensive. And how do we know? <laughs> Uh, you're going to offend somebody, are you prepared to accept those consequences? And it seems with food that people are prepared to accept those consequences because 
uh, people will preach at us about food. They certainly do to me. And they preach at me about food without even knowing what my beliefs are about food. How about you? Have you had people tell you you can't have, mustn't have, shouldn't have, don't have? I've had people come up to me in restaurants, for example, and I've put equal in my coffee, and they've screamed at me that people die from eating equal, literally screamed at me. And I always ask, how many? And what happened and why did they die? Now, of course, that's a very dramatic example. Uh, and the person who screamed at me didn't know. They have just been caught up in the research shows. And that's one of the things I always ask very personally. If you're going to quote research about anything, but particularly about food and exercise, should you have read the research? Should you understand why the research was done? Should you understand how and why the outcome happened? And I'm not going to get into the argument of artificial sweetener. But if you re carefully read the research that has been done on artificial sweetener, it's a, it's a really interesting headspace and something to, to work out for yourself. But to scream at somebody, don't eat artificial sweetener, it's going to kill you, is a lot like saying, you should believe in God because otherwise you'd go to hell. Now, some people will believe that and that might change their mind, but other people would find that really offensive. And I don't want to offend anybody, let alone 50% of the people or 10% of the people or 80% of the people. I just don't want to do that. My question is, it's always the same about food. Do you want to have an eating plan and or an exercise plan, but an eating plan, should you be able to demand from your eating plan that you have a stack of energy, that you're performing at your best, that you love what you see in the mirror and that you're getting the results that you want from your eating and exercise plan? I am very evangelistic about those four questions because I think that you should be able to get, why would you eat otherwise? If what you were, you were putting into your mouth was not giving you a stack of energy, was not helping you perform at your best, didn't help you love what you see in the mirror and wasn't giving you the results that you want, why would you eat that way? And really fascinating to me, there's a lot of people that preach at me about food and they're very aggressive about what they believe in, but when I ask them the question, do you have a stack of energy, are you performing at your best, do you love what you see in the mirror and are you getting the results that you want, they can't say yes either. Uh, what's the point? So if you're going to give advice about food, and I'm very, uh, I'm very careful about being irresponsible when it comes to food, because there are more reasons that people eat than to be healthy, fit and strong. Did you know that? I'm sure you do. People eat for cultural reasons. They eat for uh, emotional reasons. They eat for religious reasons or not eat for religious reasons. And I'm gonna use coffee as an example. I was brought up in a household where if you drank this stuff or you drank this stuff, anything that had caffeine in it, you weren't going to heaven. You were going to hell. This is such bad stuff that it's going to send you to hell. So if you were to share with your client that they should have a pre-workout drink and it's got caffeine in it and you didn't know their religious experience, you, you could find yourself in a very awkward situation. Uh, I was brought up that if you drink alcohol, that was even, I don't know if it was worse than coffee, but you certainly weren't going to heaven if you drank alcohol. And yet, there are other longevity experts that suggest that if you drink alcohol, you're going to live longer. You might not go to heaven, but you're going to live longer on earth. These are very interesting talking points, interesting conversations, but they're also things that people have not just beliefs about, but convictions about. And if I start telling people what to eat, and if I start saying what's a good or a bad food, I could get myself into a very uncomfortable situation. And does that matter? 
It matters to me, and I'm going to ask you to consider this. If I offend somebody, if I make somebody angry, if uh, somebody doesn't like me anymore because of my ridiculous conversation about food with them, because I didn't, find, and I call it ridiculous for a reason. If I don't find out about somebody's food uh, habits, so if I don't ask, what do you love to eat? What don't you like to eat? What are your favorite foods? Why do you eat the way you do at the moment? Where do you like to eat? When do you like to eat? How do you feel if you do eat? How do you feel if you don't eat? Are you on track or off track to getting the results that you want from your eating plan? Uh, what advice do you give yourself about your own eating plan, eating habits? And do you need any help or advice from me? I'm an exercise professional. I'm a personal results coach. Do you need anything from me when it comes to your food? And I would find it irresponsible and disrespectful to talk to somebody about food if I didn't know the answers to all of those questions first. And interestingly, that beautiful question, if you were your own high-performance eating coach, that question tells you very quickly what somebody believes about their food. And if I break down a relationship, if I offend somebody because I talk to them about something that's important to them or, or not important to them when it comes to food, I can't now help them with their exercise. It's one of the reasons why a lot of people have left their personal trainer, stopped going to the gym, stopped being involved with a certain social media influencer or whatever reason they've dis dis discontinued a relationship with a person who's given them advice about food or exercise is because the, the food advice was very offensive. And I don't want to do that. As a human being, I don't want to offend anybody or make them feel awkward. How about you? So if we don't ask all of those questions and we don't know where the person's headspace is about food, is it possible that we could really annoy them? Now, I've pulled these, the chocolates out of my own cupboard, the biscuits out of my own cupboard. At my house, I always have a bowl of chocolates. For two reasons. I like the way they look on my shelf. They're like a display feature in my kitchen. But I also love to put a piece of chocolate in my mouth and really enjoy it. It's a, it's a really fun part of my life experience. I have a lot of people preach at me about why chocolate or sugar is really bad for you. And they really preach at me like... One of the things that I find really offensive, and this is just a personal thing, something to consider, because I know that I'm not the only one that finds this offensive... I'm an old lady, and if somebody talks to me like I'm a child, or they speak to me in a condescending tone, they point their finger at me and tell me what to do, I find that really offensive. I've lived on the planet a very long time, and I, I'm the first person to say I don't know anything. I'm constantly learning and constantly learning more and constantly training and educating. And I could walk around pointing my finger and telling people what to do because I'm highly educated in the food area and, the, and in the ex exercise area, meaning I've done lots of courses, I've done lots of training, I've done lots of education, and I still don't know very much. But the thing that I know the least about is a, strange, a stranger, a person that I've never met. It doesn't matter how much I know about food and how much I know about exercise, I don't know that what I believe about food or exercise is going to work for them. I don't know it's going to fit in with their lifestyle. Somebody that, like I, like, I love chocolate, but I would never tell somebody to eat chocolate because what if they don't like it? What if it's against their religion? What if they have a terrible relationship with chocolate? There's all sorts of reasons why that just sounds ridiculous. So I'm asking very kindly, respectfully, and with responsibility in mind. Would it be a really good idea if we're going to talk about food that we find out about the person that we're talking to before we talk about food? I'll give you another really personal example. If you've got somebody in front of you that has had challenges or is currently on that uh, 
disordered eating scale. So they're either anorexic or bulimic or exercise bulimic or they're morbidly obese or they just have a terrible relationship with food. They might be a binge eater. They might be starving themselves at the moment. There's a whole heap of things that come with food that is not about physiology and it's not about common sense and logic. It's got a lot to do with psychology and a lot to do with emotion. And you might walk into a building or, or a group of people and say, oh, I've just had a fantastic meal at McDonald's. It was really yummy. And that could spark in somebody's brain a horrible experience, a horrible thought pattern. You might talk about why you think chocolate's really bad. Somebody's just had some chocolate and now they feel really guilty. It's one of the reasons why I don't like talking about food because it's such a personal thing. I don't want anybody to tell me what to eat. I don't want, to, I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. I don't know why the world thinks it's okay to tell other people what to eat and how to eat. Somebody comes to you and says, please, can you help me with my food? Wouldn't we want to know what are your favorite foods, what are your least favorite foods or foods that you don't like to eat for whatever reason, religious, cultural, you just don't like them? What are you eating at the moment and why do you choose to eat that way? Where are the places that you like to eat because it's different for everybody? What are the times of day that you like to eat? What do you prefer? How do you feel if you eat? How do you feel if you don't eat? And they're very powerful emotional questions. The way you're eating at the moment, is it, are you on track to achieving the results that you want? A really important question. If you were your own high-performance eating and exercise coach, what advice would you give yourself about your eating plan? And then you find out what this person believes, what they're convicted about when it comes to food. And why don't we ask that very beautiful question? What do you want from me, if anything, to do with your food? And I've often got to the end of that series of questions and the person said to me, nothing. I don't need any advice for my food because I've got a dietitian or a naturopath or I've got a, an eating plan from my sporting coach. I don't need any help with my food. And if I break down the relationship with that person by telling them not to eat that and you can't have this and mustn't have and shouldn't have and don't have and make them feel like a bad person if they eat any of the foods that I think are bad, then I don't have a relationship with them to be able to help them to get fit and strong. And I always do this in reverse. If I'm fit and strong, if I've got a healthy brain, my body and my brain are healthy, fit and strong, is it possible that I will make better decisions about my food automatically? And I always use that example. So many people that I've worked with, we haven't touched their food. They've kept eating the way that they've always eaten. We've just got them fit and strong. And they've automatically come to me and said, Rowie, I've stopped drinking or I'm drinking more water or I'm eating more fruit and vegetables or I've decided that I don't want to eat so much junk food or I've decided I don't want to eat so many lollies every day. I've decided that I'm not going to smoke anymore. Because their brain is now fit and strong and healthy, it can make better decisions. And then the next part of that that's really exciting is when you're fit and strong, is it possible that your body gets better at burning everything that you put into it? People say to me, Rowie, you eat chocolate every day or you eat, I have an ice cream every night. I love deep fried kumara fries or I love hot chips and I love a meat pie at the football. I love donuts when I go to a market. There's a whole heap of yummy things that I eat geographically. And people say to me, aren't you scared of getting fat eating those things? Well, hell no. I've been the same weight, the same size, the same energy level for a very long time. But I've got a body that burns up everything that I put into it because I've got a fast metabolism. I've got a fast base metabolic rate. I keep my metabolism fast throughout the day by getting puffed throughout the day. And I've got a fast respiratory quotient that prefers to burn fat when I'm resting. That's because I'm fit and strong. That's not my exclusive thing. If you get fit and strong, you will have a faster metabolism. You'll have a fast base metabolism, which means you need more calories to survive. You'll have a respiratory quotient that burns more fat at rest, and you'll burn everything that you put in. So when you get fit and strong, you make better decisions about your food, and you burn up what you put in there. 
Now, people say I make bad decisions about my food because I love chocolate, but that's my decision. I'm an adult, I get to choose. Now, there's adults that smoke, there's adults that take drugs, there's adults that gamble. Adults can do whatever they want to. You can do whatever you bloody well want. Why do we tell other people what to do? And if somebody comes to you and asks for your help with their food and they are genuinely interested in having a healthy, fit, strong body, what if we left the food alone for a bit, got them fit and strong? Is it possible that they'll automatically make better decisions about their food and they'll have a body that burns up everything they put into it so they might not even have to make better decisions because their body's just burning everything up? The idea of having a fast respiratory quotient, so your body prefers to burn fat when you're resting, means that you can eat more food and your body will burn it up while you're resting. Isn't that awesome? And if you eat the same and you've now got a fast, faster metabolism, a fast respiratory quotient, your body actually burns up fat from the fat cell. That's how the human anatomy and human physiology works. But what about the psychology? If I tell somebody you can't have, mustn't have, don't have, shouldn't have a food and they really love it, is it possible that they'll want it more and that creates binge eating, that creates guilt feelings, that creates a horrible relationship with food relationship or with the person's own headspace? And I don't want that for anybody. So rather than, hallelujah, you should be a vegan vegetarian, you should be a carnivore, you should be an intermittent faster, you shouldn't eat that, you must have this. How about we find out about the individual person in front of us and find out what they're excited about and what they believe in and what their evangelistic beliefs are before we share ours. Because usually when you've got two people arguing about religion, that's what it ends up as an argument. But if you have two people being respectful of each other, you might actually have a brainstorm where two people learn more about the particular topic rather than arguing about it. Wouldn't that be nice to have a world where we want to learn rather than argue? Wouldn't that be great? Super duper doo, how are you? I hope your food is yummy and you're enjoying it every single day. Yummy food, yummy food, yummy, yummy, yummy!